let us turn to God's Word and I want to turn to the portion we were looking at last Thursday evening. We'll read then in Isaiah chapter 9 and reading the first seven verses, this familiar portion in the book of the prophet Isaiah chapter 9 and reading from verse 1. Uh, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first she he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shine. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, last Thursday we did look at the opening words in verse 6. I know we've looked at this verse on previous occasions, but I remarked on how it had been much on my mind since the arrival, the birth of little um, Oscar Connolly. So we thought on these words, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And uh, in particular we thought of course of the one who is spoken of here, the Messiah, and we considered something of his humiliation in terms of the incarnation. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The child born, but the son given, the son of course being the eternal son of God. We read of him there in Philippians 2, being in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and so what was conceived there in the womb of the Virgin Mary that human nature was to be joined to the eternal Son of God the child is born but the Son is given what humiliation but then also we went on to say something with regards to the humiliation which we see evident in the work that he comes to accomplish ultimately of course he must die he must be crucified and we went on then to look at those words that follow 
that the government shall be upon his shoulder. Oh, he must bear the cross and he must hang upon that cross. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbles himself and becomes obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Well, having looked at those words last time, I thought we might just finish our consideration of the verse tonight by looking at the remaining part where we really have the exaltation. We see the humiliation in the circumstances of his birth and in his death, but then we're told that his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name we're told that in the name of Jesus every knee is to bow, every tongue confess things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth to acknowledge that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so thinking of uh, his name, the exaltation that we see in the name or the names we should say and of course uh, the name is very significant when we come to the word of God and we reminded of that previously in chapter 8 where we have mention of the child that is to be born unto uh, the prophet's wife and the name, the strange name that's given to this child Meher Shalal Ashbaz the opening four verses there and we see that the name is part of the message of the of the prophets the literal meaning as it's given to us in the margin of the name is in making speed to the spoily asineth the prey and in the context and we did say a little about the context last time in the context really here we have much description of that terrible judgment that God visited upon the children of Israel it was after the division of the kingdom there's Israel in the north with Samaria as its capital there's Judah in the south still having Jerusalem as the capital uh, but much conflict alas between Israel and Judah and uh, Israel entering into alliance with the Syrians even against Judah and God's judgments are very much spoken of the whole of chapter 8 really is a description of the, the judgment of God and then when we come to chapter 9 we've read the first 7 verses but the remainder of the chapter from verse 8 is a continuation of those Judgments that are going to come upon the people, particularly that judgment that will fall upon uh, the uh, kingdom of, of Israel in, uh, in chapter 8 and there at verse uh, 9. Here they are associating, uh, entering into alliance with Syria. God says, Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces, and give ear. All ye of far countries, and gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. 
and gird yourselves and you shall be broken in pieces all their machinations all their alliances will really be fruitless and in vain and so when we come over to the latter part of this ninth chapter again we read of terrible judgments verse 8 the Lord sent a word into Jacob and it hath lighted upon Israel and what is the word? it's a word of destruction verse 12 the Syrians before the Philistines behind and they shall devour Israel with open mouth for all this his anger is not turned away but his hand is stretched out still the Assyrians it was the Assyrians who were going to come and the Assyrians would, uh, would fall upon Israel in the, in the north and Israel and Syria would fall and the Assyrians would move south they'd come also into Judah and we read of, of these terrible uh, armies as they, as they advance there in chapter 8 verse 7 now therefore behold the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river strong and many even the king of Assyria and all his glory and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks and he shall pass through Judah he shall overflow and go over he shall reach even to the neck and to the stretching out of the wing out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land O Emmanuel as uh, those countries to the north of Judah fall so the Assyrians will also proceed further south but there will be a very real deliverance for Judah the Assyrians will not be successful though they descend southward and fall upon the little kingdom of Judah as we see in verse 10 there in chapter 8 take counsel together and it shall come to naught speak the word and it shall not stand for God is with us or Emmanuel that's how the words are rendered at the end of verse uh, 8 here he is stretching out his wings filling the breadth of thy land O Emmanuel but he's not going to prevail against Judah God is with us Emmanuel and here then we have brought in the the idea the thoughts of him who was to come in the fullness of the time when God would send forth his son and so in the midst of these verses in chapter 8 and the end of chapter 9 that are speaking so much of awful judgments and calamities that come upon the people we have this passage that speaks so plainly of the Christ it's a prophecy as we said last time it's a prophecy that has its fulfillment of course in the New Testament and I was struck reading whilst we were away I took a little volume of the sermons of an old Scots minister John Love and I was struck by what he said uh, a sentence in, uh, in one of his sermons and uh, he makes this particular point he says here in, uh, in this chapter chapter 9 and verses 1 to 7 we see uh, the great truth of the incarnation of Christ is proclaimed in ancient prophecy as a seal to all other deliverances 
there was deliverance for Judah and here is the seal of all the deliverances that ever we might read of in the Old Testament scriptures uh, they are all sealed in what God would do in the fullness of the time that greatest of all the deliverances that God would grant to his true spiritual Israel and the significance then of the the names that we have here in uh, the latter part of this sixth verse the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ he he humbles himself as God he becomes a very real man and then as a man he humbles himself and is obedient to the death of the cross and there is the great deliverance for God's spiritual people now you'll see that there's a fivefold name at the end of this sixth verse his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor the Mighty God the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace uh, five names it's interesting because Cruden Alexander Cruden in his famous concordance has a list of the names that are given to Christ in the scriptures and Cruden reckons there are 200 names and he gives all of them if you've got Cruden's concordance you'll, you'll find it there in the back of the concordance 200 names in scripture that are applied to the Lord Jesus well here we have a fivefold name but I don't want to just look at each of the names I just want to div divide what I say into some three headings this evening first of all to say something with regards to the person of the Lord Jesus then to say something with regards to the purpose of God in these things and then we'll finish up by considering Christ as that one who is eventually spoken of as the Prince of Peace first of all the person and what is the first name that we have here in the text his name shall be called wonderful wonderful Our, uh, his person is wonderful the word that we have here rendered wonderful literally means surpassing extraordinary and that's true is it not with regard to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh what a mystery what a wonder is that the person of the Lord Jesus said we've said much in times past concerning his person we know that he is a real man and he was born of course as a man child unto us a child is born and his human nature was very real he knew what it was to feel weary he sits, sits down at the well at, uh, at Sychar as he's passing through Samaria because he was tired he knew what it was to feel physical tiredness obviously he was weary he knew uh, real emotion he is moved at the grave of his friend Lazarus when he sees his sisters in all their sorrow and Jesus wept we're told we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities he, he knows all our sinless infirmities he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin he was a real man he was crucified through weakness we have that remarkable statement there in 2nd Corinthians 13 and verse 4 
he could die in a sense of course his, uh, his human nature was an immortal human nature he couldn't die because there was no sin in him and yet he did die and he dies by a voluntary sacrifice he was a real man he was a sinless man and that sinlessness in no sense diminishes the reality of his human nature some people say oh well it's human to sin it is not human to sin it is not human to sin God made man and God made man upright and God made man in his own image and after his own likeness and God is without any sin God made man upright now he sorts out many inventions and now sin of course it's that awful intruder our first parents fail and sin comes down all the generations of men who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean not one not one or how he is the only one really that remains sinless Adam and Eve of course created sinless but Adam and Eve fell and all those who are descended from them by natural generation are born dead in trespasses and sins but what do we read in the previous 7th chapter that great promise in verse 14 the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel and we're told how the virgin conceived there in the New Testament in Luke 1 how the angel says to Mary the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee the power of the highest shall overshadow thee therefore also that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God that holy thing, that sinless soul that was Christ that sinless body that was the Lord Jesus Christ he's a real man, he's a sinless man but then also we see here he's not only called wonderful he's also called the mighty God he's the mighty God and he is never anything less than the mighty God even in the state of his humiliation as a man that's a, a remarkable thing to even begin to comprehend no less almighty at his birth and on his throne supreme his shoulders held up heaven and earth when Mary held up him always the government was upon his shoulders he upholds all things by the word of his power he's God he's God and now how does the description uh, continue in verse 7 this is his exaltation of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this oh he is man but he's also God he is the God man and uh, we're familiar I'm sure with the language of some of those ancient creeds of the, of the church there's the Apostles Creed there's the uh, Nicene 
the utter nation, these great doctrinal statements. The, the Athanasian Creed says concerning the Lord Jesus, although who although he be God and man, yet he is not two but one Christ. One person. What they call the theologians call it the hypostatic union, he's one person, and yet in that one person two distinct natures. He is God truly God and yet he's also man and he's a real man he is the God man oh the, the wonder then of the person his name shall be called wonderful oh he is the mighty God and yet he is a real man but then another truth that we see here when we consider his names we see the purpose of God. He has this name of Counselor. He shall be called Counselor. He is party, of course, to all the eternal counsels of God. Because uh, God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and when we think of God's counsels, when we think of God's decree, it's the decree of the triune God, the three persons in the Godhead, the eternal counsel. And then also, of course, when we think of him as a counsellor, we think in terms of the, of the covenant, the covenant of redemption, the covenant of grace. We read in Zechariah 6 and verse 13, the counsel of peace shall be between them both. There's a council of peace, there's a covenant of redemption. And we, we see that unfolded in Scripture, how in that uh, council or covenant, he uh, willingly becomes the, the servant of God. Although as the Eternal Son is equal with the Father, equal with the Holy Spirit, yet in the outworking of the covenant he becomes the Lord's servant. Behold my servant whom I uphold, says God. Mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. He is the first of all the elect. All the elect are chosen in him. He is the, the covenant head of all his people. In the covenant he is there, as it were, to represent those that the Father has given to him. And uh, remember how in the previous chapter we've already made some reference to that child that was born to uh, the wife of the prophet, Meir Shalal Ashbas, and the significance of the name and uh, what Isaiah goes on to say later there in verse 18 of that chapter, he says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. The name given to the child is part of his message to, to Israel. I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs. Now, 
Because the interesting thing is that those words are taken up in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 2. They're quoted there by the Apostle, verse 13. Behold I and the children which God hath given me. They're quoted by Paul in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who really is saying, Behold I and the children whom God hath given to me. In that sense he is also the everlasting Father. And that's another name. He is the everlasting Father. We think of the language of the psalmist in Psalm 103, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we're dust. Who is that one who is able to pity us? Who is that one who knows our frame? In many ways it must be a reference there in the psalm, the psalm is messianic, it's speaking of Christ. He knoweth our frame, he, he's a real man, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's our Father. He's our Father. And that's the name therefore that is rightly given to him here. Oh in the covenant. He's not only the head of his people. He's their, he's their father and he has all the tenderness of a father towards his children. But then we think, when we think of him as a counsellor we can also think in terms of the words that he speaks the counsel that he gives here upon the earth remember how he speaks to the Laodiceans he addresses of course the seven churches there in Revelation 2 and 3 and we have what he says to the church at Laodicea Revelation 3 and verse 18 I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear oh what gracious words of counsel and instruction never man spake like this man he says the words that I speak unto you they are spirit and they are life what counsel he gives us how we are to wait upon him in prayer and ask that he would direct us in every part of our lives we wait upon him, we read his word we want the Lord to be our instructor, our counsellor Peter says to whom shall we go thou hast the words of eternal life and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ the son of the living God how he so graciously then speaks to us and uh, we remarked last, word, last week with regards to the language here at the beginning of the uh, verse unto us a child is born unto us a son is given it's not in the future tense it doesn't speak of the child who is to be born and the son who is to be given but it's what's often referred to as the prophetic perfect future things being spoken of in scripture as though they were already accomplished as though the Lord had already done these very things or we read of him don't we later on in chapter 46 declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done say my counsel shall stand 
and I will do all my pleasure. Oh, he does all his pleasure. He accomplishes all that he has said as a counsellor. The certainty of his words to us. All the promises of God in him, they are yea, they're, they're amen to God's glory by, by us. As mediator, as testator, he has sealed everything by his blood. His testament is in force because the testator himself has died and sealed all the promises. Oh, what a counsellor is this one then, the Lord Jesus party to all the eternal purpose of God and who has come and accomplished all God's good will and pleasure in the salvation of his people and he is to us a counsellor, a prophet, a teacher and then finally we read of him as that one who is the Prince of Peace and that surely reminds us of that work that he came ultimately to accomplish to make peace through the blood of his cross we in that state of enmity and alienation reconciled by the blood of Christ at his birth of course the angels sang glory to God in the highest peace on earth goodwill toward men and it's not uh, a mere outward peace that's being spoken of there was an outward peace at that time the peace of Rome the Pax Romana the legionaries of Rome ensuring stability peace politically in every part of the empire he's speaking of a far greater thing he's speaking of uh, the sinner being reconciled to God enjoying peace with God it's interesting uh, that verse in Luke 2.14 and on earth goodwill towards men the way it reads in the authorised version of course it's God's goodwill towards men but in the modern versions it's often perverted it's perverted to suggest that it's peace towards men of goodwill that's how it reads in the RSV and of course, the version that's now so popular, the ESV, is very much based on the Revised Standard Version. They call it the English Standard Version. I don't have the ESV, but I have an old RSV, and it says, On earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. On earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Or peace towards men of goodwill. But it's not the goodwill of men that the angels sing of it's glory to God in the highest on earth peace towards men or goodwill towards men it's God's goodwill it's God's goodwill coming to those who are not deserving of the least of God's favours oh this is the peace that he brings he comes to reconcile those who are not in any sense at peace with God there far off from God we're told aren't we there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and what has Christ done he's borne that punishment that the sinner deserved he's made peace through the blood of his cross 
He is that one who is the propitiation for our sins, says John. He in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, to bear the punishment that was our just desert. Or this man shall be the peace. The context there, of course, as I thought to say, it is the, the Assyrians coming and uh, overrunning Israel in the north the ten tribes scattered never to be restored lost and then the Assyrians coming to the very gates of, of Jerusalem filling the land filling the land as we see there in chapter 8 and verse 8 he shall pass through Judah he shall overflow and go over he shall reach even to the neck and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. But then we have that word in Micah chapter 5 and verse 5. This man shall be the peace. When the Assyrian comes into the land, that's what it says. When the Assyrian comes into the land. And it's that promise, you see. The great deliverance is that that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and every other deliverance that we read of in scripture is rooted in that. That's the point that uh, at Scott's minister John Love I believe was making in the sermon I referred to at the beginning. Or oh, this man, thou shalt call his name Jesus. There's another name that's given to him of course. He is Jesus. Why? Because he shall save his people from their sins his name shall be called wonderful counsellor the mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever and I like that sentence at the end of verse 7 God's zeal for the honour and glory of his own name, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will perform this. That's our comfort. Well, the Lord bless his word to us tonight. We're going to sing as our second praise of that piece. 594, omitting verses 7 and 8. And the tune is Vienna 517. O my soul, with wonder tell, Jesus has done all things well, and through his atoning blood, I have a settled peace with God. 594, omitting verses 7 and 8, tune 517.